1: Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth.
2: Let's learn about financial planning, the high-end stuff, with CFP Chad Burton. Chad is regional director and partner at EP Wealth. He is someone I've worked with for many, many years on air. In fact, basically my whole career on radio. Not quite, but pretty close uh why because when i found a cfp that i liked and i trusted the content was so good you can't say no he's a regional director and cfp at ep wealth we have a big event coming up may 25th in palo alto at the elks lodge going to be talking about income in retirement investments in retirement taxes in retirement ie we're going to be talking about getting through retirement in a way that you want to and properly funded with a lot of security and knowledge of a CFP working with you. Chad, let's talk withdrawal strategies in retirement. It, it's, it's a weird one because most of us start working at 18 and we start saving for retirement and we don't think about retirement. We don't think about that nest egg. We don't think about now that nest egg is gonna be providing for us after we've provided for it for 20, 30 or 40 years. Um, what do we need to know about withdrawal strategies in retirement?
3: well there's so much that happens with withdrawal strategies i mean as planners what we really need to start with is number one a tax return at least a year or two okay um because i mean you know we're talking about ai these days we have a software program that'll scan in a tax return and start coming up with recommendations and then we can run projections based on that which is fantastic um but the issue is what type of accounts do you have? What's automatically causing the tax bill for you each year in retirement, no matter what you do, whether it's pensions, Social Security, dividends and interest from a taxable non-retirement account, rental income, and how is that taxed? Do you have depreciation and other expenses that, that uh, make your rental income not uh, fully taxable? There's real estate investment trusts out there that have uh, a lot of tax-free income after depreciation or return of capital. So what's actually hitting your tax return before you start to take money out of your 401k, IRA, Roth, sell stocks? And we kind of go from there, Rob. We say, okay, what is the most tax-efficient way to make withdrawals in this scenario? What does your tax bracket look like between the date of retirement until Social Security kicks in? At you know, In most cases, we're having people wait until 70, if they're going to live into the mid-80s. Um, at what what does the tax bracket look like at age 73 when you're forced to start taking money out of your IRAs and 401ks because of required minimum distributions and we kind of go from there we know how much money's left over for the kids do we start talking about IRA to Roth conversions and how do we do the cash flow planning for that so it's why I love it is so many things going on every situation is different and um, it's a lot of fun Let's talk about a recent Morningstar
2: article that mentioned a dynamic withdrawal strategy in high stock exposure, which high stock exposure is what it sounds like, mm-hmm. can potentially allow a higher withdrawal rate in retirement. Is it possible to start with more than a 4% withdrawal and adjust for inflation each year?
3: Well, I don't think I would start with more than a 4% withdrawal. In fact, okay. um, if we go back, and I know we've talked about this a lot, but that 4% withdrawal strategy to explain that as a rule of thumb, people – would say, and this was started in the early nineties. Um, it was very popular when I got into the business, Mm -hmm. um, in, in the early nineties. And essentially what there was all these studies that were done. And essentially it was, if you have a balanced portfolio, you know, kind of like a 60, 40 stock bond style portfolio, um, and you start, Withdrawing four percent a year out, so if you have a million dollars, you could take forty thousand dollars a year out and adjust it upwards with inflation every year, and should have enough money to last until you know as long as you do well rob i mean the the ten year treasury was about two times as high as it is right now I mean we went from you know less than 2% at the beginning of the year to, you know, over three and a half, but it, it was, you know, closer to five and a half, six when that strategy was created. So even though bonds are much more attractive now, they still aren't paying in terms of interest income, what they were back then. So I think a safer amount is more like three and a half, three point seven five 3.75% so that, you know, you can draw out more each year with inflation, um, to keep up with your standard of living the idea here is that you can adjust that with a dynamic withdrawal strategy. You're you're essentially looking at the portfolio every year. You start with a f- base financial plan that says, this is what my situation looks like. Um, and every year you have to look at it and say, how did my expenses do versus what I projected? How did my portfolio do versus what I projected? And you can adjust it based on what's going on in the market. Now, you know, we have a year like 2022 where both stocks and bonds are down. In fact, the average balance portfolio was probably down if you look at... Uh, You know, uh, any balanced mutual fund out there is down anywhere from 13 to 17%. So does that mean you have to cut your expenses by that amount? No, it doesn't. It means you might make a small adjustment of 1% or 2% for the rest of your retirement um, until the market recovers and then you change again. And that's why it's so important to have a, a kind of a living, breathing financial plan. Really
2: interesting because most people that I meet that don't work with CFPs don't have a living, breathing plan, and
3: it's very static, <clears throat> and it doesn't seem to work as well. Um, and you know, and to yeah. to that point, most financial advisors that I meet that aren't yeah. you know part of our group and haven't listened to us talk about withdrawal strategies for twenty plus years, there was a lot of financial advisors drop that you know their clients were didn't have much cash going into twenty twenty two, and so stocks and bonds were down in twenty twenty two. So where are they drawing their money from? They're they're locking in. They're turning paper losses into real losses if they didn't plan for those withdrawals properly and have that two to three years worth of portfolio draws in safe money somewhere. And now you can earn over 4% on your safe money. So it's not a bad deal. I would love if we can go back
2: and see how static some of the um, professionals have been and how they are slow to change. Is 4% an accurate number when you're dealing with stocks, when you're dealing with bonds, when you're dealing with large portfolios, when you're dealing with small portfolios? Where does that 4% become kind of a sweet spot?
3: I think it becomes a sweet spot when you have an active rebalancing strategy. Okay. And what I mean by that is, is that uh, you know, when you go through a financial planning process, you, you, you know, like I said, there's a certain amount of items that hit your taxable income automatically your social security your pensions dividends and interest from your taxable accounts um and then you got to decide where to draw the rest from and as long as you have that amount there's a couple years of that in safe money and then on a quarterly or semi-annual basis you're looking at your portfolio and you're saying okay the market is up you know because the sp500 is up 74 percent of the time on average over the last 50 years so 74% of the time, you can be looking at your portfolio on a quarterly or semi-annual basis and say, I'm going to take, I'm going to peel some gains. I'm going to take some gains off the table and replenish the cash that I've been spending. So it's an active rebalancing situation. It's not a, just a, you know, blind withdrawal strategy where you're prorating your withdrawals out, just like you contributed into your 401k. You're active on terms of what you're trimming. Are you trimming stocks, bonds, real estate, commodities um, to replenish your cash? And if that's the case, I think you could still stick with the 4%, um, but you do have to have that safe money and that active rebalancing strategy. I can't tell you how naive I am, Chad, and how
2: hard I work to create wealth. And now that I'm getting closer to managing wealth with retirement income and tax planning strategies, it's pretty complicated. It's CFP Chad Burton. You can meet him May 25th, 630 to 830, Retirement Income and Tax Planning Strategies, That's right. We're live and in public and in person yet again in Palo Alto at the Elk's Lodge, minimizing taxes in retirement, protecting your estate, selecting optimal social security strategies, managing the IRAs and 401ks in retirement, and much, much more. You can sign up for the event today at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com.
1: This interview featured on The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at robblack.com. Be careful
2: with your AI aspirations. Yes, we saw Microsoft take off with the mention of AI, and we saw Qualcomm, not Qualcomm, excuse me, NVIDIA take off with more mentions of the word AI. But a couple of days ago, IBM mentioned AI, and nope, stock went down 2%. And I don't know if you remember, do you remember that little teeny tiny phase in history where we were talking about watching the supercomputer and how it can win on Jeopardy? That doesn't seem that impressive anymore, does it? Let's see, a computer that can search answers to questions in real time. Doesn't seem that impressive. So Watson didn't really move the needle for IBM and AI. Palantir mentions AI and stock goes up 20%. Google brings up barred AI And it didn't demo terribly well. So what are they doing? demo 1.1. Maybe 2.0 is the right way of saying it, right? The Google I.O. event is going on, and you're going to hear announcements today. They're hosting their I.O. developers conference at Shoreline Amphitheater in Mountain View. CEO Sundar Pichai will have plenty to say about the big tech's latest obsession, Generative AI. How? Hello, Dave. Google is an AI juggernaut for sure, but the company's recent stumbles, namely its botched unveiling of the barred chatbot and slow rollout of generative AI capabilities across its various products, have big tech giants like Microsoft owning the conversation. I would anticipate that Google I.O. is going to be a very strong generative AI forward message. They're going all out on generative AI, even though <clears throat> searching is their business. And now a lot of people are going to be getting into searching for information. And it is a threat to marketing. So I do own shares of Alphabet, and I, I think about that on a regular basis. When I see a material decline in searches, I'm out. I know my limits on that one. When I see the client, a serious decline in revenue that's not pandemic-related, I'm out. You have to know your bread and butter. Hardware galore. Google isn't just expected to roll out AI apps and services today. They're also going to show off the Pixel Fold smartphone. Foldable handset, a couple years past Samsung's debut. Do we really want it? First rollout for Samsung was a bit of a disaster. You kept getting creases in your foldable phone on your screen. Pixel Fold's gonna cost upward of $1,700. What is the number that's too much for you? And do you know how we do it? We go, well, it's 1,700 over two years. That's only 800, so we justify. There's a guy at my radio station. um, I won't say his name because there's not that many people in radio in the Bay Area anymore, but he has a flip phone. He has a 20-year-old phone, still works. When he texts, it has the ABC button number one and DEF button number two. So he has to scroll through the the text. I find that kind of hilarious, but he, I kind he finds me kind of hilarious because I've probably spent in the last ten years easily, easily ten thousand dollars plus on phones, and he's probably spent zero. Ten thousand becomes twenty thousand in seven years. 20,000 becomes 40,000 in 14 years. You see how like he's the smarter of the two. Cause I don't think anyone. Well, text, I guess do help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are kind of a communication tool. Are they not? <clears throat> so Google IO today, again, CPI today. And um, we got a lot working on and uh, I feel wall street's taking it in stride so far. Let's see how wall street's doing overall. The SP 500 futures were pointing up all morning. We've now been open for a bit, a skosh, if you will. And the NASDAQ is losing some of their gains. So opened up almost eight-tenths of a percent. Now it's up seven-tenths of a percent. The Dow Jones Industrial Average 30 is down. The S&P 500 is barely up. Inflation rises at its lowest annual rate in two years. The headline sounds great. For me, when I look at it, it's still really a high number. The Fed sticking their guns is saying we want 2% inflation. And again, there's so many ways of looking at inflation. So that's kind of a a bogus statement. Um, Cost of services, housing, what's the important one, what's not. But when the Fed tightens, it bleeds into the future. The effects and when the Ted loosens we go oh the future looks great and we're more up op- op- up uh, opportunistic uh, optimistic excuse me searching for words today but consumer prices in April showed inflation pressures remained elevated I see that 4.9 percent not two percent and I see that it only came down one tenth of a percent so that's going to take a long time to grind lower are the policies working somewhat yeah We're not at eight, 9% inflation. We're not at double digit inflation like the UK. We can be thankful for that because that would be a mess. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. EV sales, are they going to decline? There was a new poll released this morning talking about the electrifying, the electrification of cars and how the market's getting a little more difficult. The share of Americans who say they're very unlikely to consider an EV for the next vehicle. As far as purchases go, in the first three months of the year is growing. 21% of new vehicle shoppers said they were very unlikely to consider an EV, that's up from 18.9% in February and 17.8% in January. There's all sorts of mandates in California that we have to have a complete electrification new car sales fleet in the coming years. I don't know, I kind of get this one. The charging infrastructure and the price have consistently um, topped the reasons that people don't want to own an EV. I think uh, getting the cost down in electric vehicles is going to be important to get mass adoption. But then it's also like um, electricity prices spiked on us and gasoline prices stabilized and, and grinded a little bit lower. Is that the touch point? Is that the the breaking issue? You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black.
1: What's the best way to choose a financial advisor? Download our guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. So every now and
2: then I like to look at big success stories. And a big one in my life has unfolded in my life. He's younger than me. It's LeBron James. I remember when he was in high school and you'd watch ESPN at 11 o'clock at night for SportsCenter. And they'd show you this footage of a man who looked twice the size of every other player on the the court. And he just cracked the worth billion dollar group. And I think that's pretty cool because you've seen him go from high school uh, into the NBA. Then you started seeing some commercials and you're like, OK, OK. And you then like probably the Nike thing. Yeah, OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Now he's worth a billion dollars. He owns parts of Liverpool Football Club. the Soccer team in London. He owns parts of Blaze Pizza, parts of the Boston Red Sox. Um, he's invested not only in his career of keeping his body healthy, but he's also invested in businesses. Um, whether you like him or hate him. He's someone that has unfolded in your lifetime, and it's pretty cool to see. I said I'd talk about some AI stocks this segment, so let me be true to my word. There is a pure play called C3.AI. It's the first on the list is c AI in my mind because it's a pure play. Now, you know Google. You know Microsoft. You know NVIDIA. You know some of the big boys, right? IBM's trying to reinvent themselves with AI, but let's talk about C3 AI. It's a pure play. The firm is dealing with artificial intelligence, the sole focus of 3 C3 AI. Unlike the companies, um, it's just a pure play on data. And the data world is going to be super important. You know who's got a lot of data? Twitter. Now, the... AI is only as good as data in, data out, right? Data garbage in, garbage out. But look for companies that have access to a lot of data. There's one company that I was not close to buying, but I'm intrigued with called Lemonade. Um, They're a pure play on insurance AI. I mean, that's that's their whole business model. It's the first insurance company fully powered by AI. When you check out the website, you'll directly deal with Maya, the AI bot that will help you with every step of the process from signing up for an insurance policy. To file filing a claim. You can file an insurance claim in seconds without ever speaking to anyone about it. If you know insurance companies, and I'll tell you, like Geico, I think is struggling right now. Progressive is doing well. The whole industry has to go AI. If you've ever dealt with the insurance industry, it is brutal. Um, I have a family and insurance claims are, they'll drive you batty. Amazon uses AI in some fashion from forecasting customer demand to the Alexa device that can be found in your home. Amazon uses AI at some fulfillment centers as robots work with human beings. Amazon also utilizes chatbots for customer service functions. Amazon fresh and Amazon go stores use the just walkout payment system where you don't have to deal with a human being to check out. You can take a look at workday workday believes AI is changing the way companies use HR analytics the company helps larger firms with AI-powered and cloud-based HR services. company that uses Workday, gives analytic tools, data-driven decisions. I mean, some of these are like, okay, I know, I, I got that one, I got that one, I got one. Keep talking, Rob. Palantir Technologies, PLTR. Not a company I'm going to talk about regularly on the air. Uh, they're responsible for serving both businesses and government with secure data analytics software. There's promising speculation as the company moves into the AI solution for space exploration. Company's not profitable. That's a problem for me. company called Oracle. Uh, They were the original database company. And in the 1990s, when I started the show, Larry Ellison was a rich man. He's become a richer man. But what Oracle did well as a business was they got into your office and they set up... servers and databases in your office and it was tough to get them out so you had a service contract with oracle now when everything went to the cloud um, oracle fell behind but they've caught up pretty quickly moving everything to online oracle's applications aid salespeople in closing deals by assisting them in identifying the most likely business possibilities it's amongst the top artificial intelligence stocks for 2023 to look at Um, they're all about Cloud apps, cost, and time-saving workflows. How about a company called Persistent Systems? It was founded in 1993. Provides its customers with scalable and secure mobile network capabilities. Its business relies on cutting-edge wave relay technology. That businesses employ AI to help business scale, enhance their processes, gives cases more attention, and create platform architecture. You can go find a list. For me. I think that the two that make the most sense right now could potentially be AMD and Google, because they're both way off their 52 week highs. They both have histories of of working in good times and bad times. They both have histories of businesses outside of AI to fall back on. I still own NVIDIA and I still own Microsoft, so don't think I'm being a hypocrite in any way, shape or form. You know what I'm saying? I want you to save 15% of your income for retirement because quickly we're all learning that we work from age 20 to 60 and we have to live off it from 60 to 100, potentially. Um, Saving early makes a difference. Uh, Starting early and steadily increasing your contributions up to 15% can help you reach your retirement saving goals. If you want um, to retire early, you start in your 20s. With five percent of your income, then you go up to six percent, seven percent, eight percent. you slowly up that number. You don't let lifestyle creep in. you let investment creep up. Two beginning at the age of twenty five, if you have a salary of forty thousand dollars escalated five percent a year to the age of forty five, then three percent a year to age sixty five, again, the, the math doesn't work on radio. I want you to take place of your 401k or your 403b at work. If you can, that's a good start. Then you can start getting fancy after you get your first hundred thousand dollars. But until then buckle down and budget up. A couple things that I like to throw out is I like to look at some of the financial gurus out there and what they're saying, and what they don't. And some of the easiest practices to become wealthy that I agree with that everyone in financial media agrees with write down a budget get out of debt, live on less you make, save and invest. And then you can get into be generous. But those are the five pillars of like starting out. You got to say it again and again and again and again. One There's stocks that you should always look into for the long term. When I was a kid, there was a movie that came out called Return of the Jedi, Um, that McDonald's had a special deal. If you came in and got a meal, you can get a a soda in a glass with a limited edition Return of the Jedi Star Wars glass, collect all four. And now, 40 years later, I don't know if it's 40 years later, but it's 35, 30 years later, McDonald's is still in business. Don't be afraid of going. With long-term investments in things like Coca-Cola and McDonald's, if you want to go for investments like AI, there's no shame in the old blue chippers. There's no shame.
1: Visit The Rob Black Show online at robblackshow.com. Listen to archived podcasts, market updates, and information from EP Wealth Certified Financial Planners online at robblackshow.com. I'll
2: get a question often. Because I live in the Bay Area, there's a lot of high incomes and a question that I get that's pretty consistent with the problem of having a high income is I'm in the highest tax bracket and plan to be there moving forward. Should I do a Roth conversion? The answer is you should talk with a CFP, in my opinion. Roth conversions are a little bit tricky because you're taking your IRA that has capital gains that you haven't paid. And you're converting it to a Roth IRA, where before you were putting in after-tax money and you plan to pay taxes when you retired in the IRA, as you withdraw the money, probably at a lower tax bracket if you retire, like most people do, and downsize a bit. But there's some Americans who are going to retire and have plenty of money and still be in a high-tax bracket. And they, they can be exactly who the Roth conversions for. It is a weird loophole that should be probably closed at some point. Um, there's been social security strategies that used to happen that don't anymore because they'll close loopholes as they're like, oh, too many people are taking advantage of this. But if you're in a high tax bracket, I think you should work with a CFP or consider working with a CFP in large part. Roth conversions are very tricky because you're going to pay taxes now. And I don't think it's something you want to mess up. For me, it's too intimidating to start taking my investment decisions, converting them into what was a taxable account, a non-taxable account right now, um, into a non-taxable account, but something I've already paid taxes on. I don't like putting the tax formula into my problem-solving. So I let my CFP, Brad, do that for me. Got a question from someone who's really into bonds because they lost a lot of money in the stock market. And they want to stick with bonds because they, they feel they haven't lost money in bonds. And the guy's under 40, and it crushes me to see this. If you are down in the stock market, then you've only been in the stock market for two years, in my opinion. If you've been in 345678910, you should be up. But yeah, 2022 was a tough year. You're getting some of it back in 2023, but probably not as fast as you want. It's reasonable to be nervous about the stock market, especially given its ups and downs over the past few years. It's more understandable that you want to be in bonds when you've lost money in stocks, but that probably means you did something wrong in stocks. Um, again, I would prefer most people own diversified indexes and probably two or three of them. You don't have to, I don't think the S&P 500 is all that because I think it really comes down to being um, a large cap growth fund. And two of the biggest members of the SP 500 now are worth trillions and trillions of dollars. And that is tough to grow from. It's, it's easy to grow from 100 pounds to 200 pounds. It's easy to put on, you know, double your weight. But when you go from 200 to 400, it's a little bit tougher. And when you go from 400 to 800, it, it doesn't work as, as well. And I've never seen a 1600 pound person. A lot of the high numbers starts to get into the way of all this. So if I were to own one fund and like you were to put a gun to my head, I'd say, why not start with Vanguard Dividend Appreciation Fund, VIG? Yields about 2%. Not a lot, but it's also holding some names that are SP500-oriented, like Microsoft, Apple, Exxon, United Health Group, Johnson Johnson, Procter & Gamble, Visa, MasterCard, Home Depot. They're all nice names. Um, but they're also all obvious names, and they're all overbought. Everyone knows those names, so it's no big secret. But if you were to spend a day picking five funds at Vanguard or five funds at Schwab, I'm not against that. You can own real estate by owning Vanguard Real Estate Index, Q. So the man who's running my show today, he's like, yeah, it's tough owning real estate if you're 25. You don't have to own it in the Bay Area. You can go out and buy the Vanguard Real Estate Index file holding real estate um, and you're getting a yield of about 4% which is considerably higher than the stock market's yield right now is now the right time to own real estate that's a really good question because mortgage rates have gone up so you got to take a look at the holdings in the Vanguard real estate index ticker symbol is VNQ and what you instantly see is Prologis American Tower Equinox Crown Castle Public Storage Realty Income Simon Property so they're all really interesting companies are called what are real estate investment trusts, And that's the way I learned in my twenties, I could own real estate. Congress set up what are called REITs to allow us to own real estate. If you want to own a hundred dollars of prologis, you can own a hundred dollars of prologis. ticker symbol is PLD. What does prologis do? They do warehouses. And let's say, I want to put, A couch in a warehouse let's say i own a furniture company and i want to put up a uh, i know i've got a hot selling couch and i want to put a hundred couches that i've made into warehouses and wait for the trucks to come pick them up Prologist is going to charge me for that and i'm okay with that is it a short-term play no is now kind of dangerous to own any sort of real estate that's commercially owned it's it's a lot more dangerous than it used to be Because interest rates have moved higher. Which means if they're borrowing money to own these properties. It's a little bit problematic, isn't it? When you get the refinance. So you got to find out, do they own the company? Do they own the buildings or not? You got to do a lot of work. The yield on Prologis is uh, 2.8%. So if you take a look at a chart of Prologis, it kind of looks like amazon it kind of looks like microsoft or nvidia back in 2010 this was a 14 dollar stock now it's a 12 126 dollar stock that's that's way that's fantastic right so i want you to learn what reits are r-e-i-t-s um it sounds like an aretha franklin song r-e-i-t-s-p-e-c-t find out what it means to me no i'm not going to do that um But learn what REITs are. I don't want you to own individual stocks until you own indexes. And I don't want you to own individual stocks until you have $100,000. And I want you to buy your first stock uh, maybe $5,000. And that'll be 5% of your portfolio. So your portfolio will be 95% indexes, 5% individual stocks. I can be talked out of that. If you were to say I'm going to go all blue chips and then for the sexy growth stuff, I'm going to go index funds, I'm fine with that. You can find an index fund that you know is dedicated, or an ETF that's dedicated to artificial intelligence. You can find an exchange-traded fund that's dedicated towards space exploration. You can find an ETF that's dedicated towards, um, you know, old-time fashion com- computers or communications or uh, you name it. There's something out there. There's even an ETF now, and this one kills me. It's going long or short, Jim Cramer. So if Jim Cramer talks about a stock today. And I don't know how they're determining it because he talks a lot about a lot of stocks, but let's say he says, "Booya, I like AMD. One of those funds that go along what he says will buy AMD, one of those funds that if you you think he's a fool and he tends to put his foot in his mouth. um, If you're short him, you can literally buy an ETF based on how someone talks about stocks on TV. When you hear the word recession, you shouldn't fear um, I know that we grew up that in the financial media world, the R word recession is as bad as any other letter and any other derogatory ten- term. It is not something people want to hear. And I don't mind it. I find that recessions curb excesses, and that's a good thing. Um, we have a lot of inflation, and I think a recession would wipe it out better than raising interest rates. <clears throat> Um, as things inflated, we created a society of more haves and fewer have-nots or more have-nots and fewer haves. Um, and I don't like that. I don't like that. I think everyone should be able to vacation to Hawaii, not just the wealthy.
0: Retirement planning is more complicated than ever, and it can be hard to even know where to begin. So set aside Thursday evening, May 25th, and get ready to learn some strategies from Chad Burton and Rob Black that can help you retire better and pass on your estate while minimizing taxes. That's May 25th at the Elks Lodge in Palo Alto. This event will focus on retirement income and tax planning. If you're nearing or are in retirement and have at least $500,000 in investable assets, this seminar is for you. Chad will explain how to transition your portfolio from the accumulation phase to the income phase, which accounts to draw from first, how to protect your estate from long-term care costs, and much more. Learn how to invest during high inflation and interest rate moves, social security strategies, and managing IRAs and 401Ks in retirement. Rob Black will share market happenings and trends. That's Thursday, May 25th, 6.30 p.m. at the Elks Lodge in Palo Alto. Sign up for the event at ChadBurton.com. For KDOW listeners, we'll waive the sign-up fee. ChadBurton.com.